1: Hi, I'm Gabby. And I'm
3: Rob. And this is Dark Origins Podcast, a podcast where I tell Rob about the inspirations behind all mediums of art. So movies, TV shows, books, music, etc. And this is part two of a two-part episode or two-part series on the Sexton's. One of the cases that inspired the song Richard Ramirez Died Today of Natural Causes by Sun Kill Moon. So if you haven't listened to the first part, go back and listen to that and then come back to this episode. All right.
0: Perfect. Let's oh. go.
3: Okay. So just to recap really quickly, the parents have some of the children and they're all on a, on the run in a camper van because the parents had lost custody of the children. The mom kind of regained custody, but the dad came back, held them all hostage. And for whatever reason, the mom was allowed to keep custody of some of the children while the dad went to jail. He gets bailed out. He's back with the family. They're all on the run, and they are currently in the camper van headed to Florida. Some of the children are not with them, though. Some of the children remain in foster homes.
0: Right. They couldn't bring everybody back, right?
3: Right, because there was some issues between siblings. Right. All right. So Eddie seemed to despise Pixie's newest child, probably because he couldn't be sure it was his, and his aversion seemed to rub off on Pixie. She showed little interest in taking care of poor Skipper. She wasn't a good mother to any of her other children, but she was even worse to him. Skipper was teething by this point, so he was very fussy. To keep the baby quiet, she fed him NyQuil daily and rubbed aspirin on his gums. Not only is this incredibly dangerous and terrible for the baby, but it also made him even more sick and uncomfortable, leading him to be even more fussy. He wasn't able to hold food down because the NyQuil was making him nauseous, but he was sleeping about 17 hours a day, which is ultimately what Pixie wanted. She didn't care about the detriment it caused him. Two weeks into their stay at the campground, the family went to bed like they normally did. Pixie had given Skipper NyQuil before bed, but he woke up around 4 a.m. and began crying. Eddie yelled at Pixie to make him stop before he came to do it himself. So she slapped him multiple times before covering his mouth and nose. She kept her hand there until he stopped breathing. And then she went back to sleep. The reason that we know that that's exactly what happened is because her brother, Willie, was in the same room as her and saw it happen.
0: And did nothing. No.
3: Later that morning, the family woke up to Pixie screaming. Everyone ran to find her standing over poor Skipper. Oh, yeah, you fucking killed your kid. What What are you so upset about? Yeah. You did this. Yeah. She told everyone he'd just stopped breathing. Charles attempted to give the baby CPR at least the best he knew how, but it didn't work. They held a makeshift funeral for the baby that night. Pixie slept with his body one last time, and they buried him the next day. What? Yeah. They put him in a duffel bag and dug a grave for him in the woods behind their campsite. Joel begged them to take the baby to authorities. He wanted to know what happened to his child, and he wanted to give the baby a proper funeral. Eddie was pissed about this. He could see that Joel was serious about wanting to go to authorities, and he worried it might jeopardize everything.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine why he'd be worried about that. Yeah. Jesus Christ.
3: Everyone else in—well, not everyone else—the— They tried to tell some of the other family members that it was just SIDS. Like that's what Pixie and Adi were telling people was that it was SIDS. Strangely, the night that Skipper was killed was a scary night for the foster families of Lana and James Sexton. So those are two of the kids who are still in foster, still with foster families. And and
0: are they in separate foster families or? Yes, they're in separate foster families. But they had a scary night. Both of them had scary nights too?
3: Yes. It's very strange. So like
0: maybe Eddie is in tune with something fucked up.
3: This yes, this is what is so terrifying about this. And this is why their their fear, I mean I, I fully understand why they had it because this is so weird.
0: Okay, I can't wait to hear it, but this also makes sense why they're talking about uh, the the artist of the song are talking about this case along with Richard Ramirez, who was, you know, a self-proclaimed Satan worshiper.
3: Yes, yeah.
0: And did rituals before and after killing people.
3: Yeah. Lana's foster parents were named Tabitha and Ted Fisher. That night began normally, just like any other night. Tabitha gave Lana a bath before putting her to bed. She noticed Lana was acting strange as if she had lost all her manners, but it wasn't anything too concerning. How old is Lana? I forgot. She's 12. Okay. As Lana lay in bed, she asked Tabitha to wind up her music box for her. The music box was sitting on like a little console table or shelf or dresser across the room from Lana's bed.
0: She wound it up and it started playing Black Sabbath.
3: No. (laughs) No. Okay. Um, (laughs) So Tabitha winds it up and as the music started playing, she walked away. As soon as it stopped playing, she heard Lana walk across the room and wind it up again. Then they heard a weird noise. Frustrated, Tabitha walked back to Lana's bedroom to tell her to go to sleep. When she opened the door, she saw Lana holding the music box while she sat on her bed. Tabitha tried to tell her it was time to go to sleep again, but Lana started whining. It was a noise she had never made before. It sounded like a toddler whine cry scream type thing then lana started jumping screaming and punching tabitha ted ran into the room to find his wife trying to hold lana down
0: and nothing like this had ever happened before
3: not like this
0: not that we know of Mm, okay yeah
3: then and in you know lana's 12 obviously she's smaller than tabitha but she i mean it's taking all of tabitha's strength to hold her down is stronger than you think yeah So she's trying to hold her down, and then Lana went limp. The Fishers watched as her body went from lax, just laying there, to sitting straight up. Her body was rigid, and her eyes were wide open now. In a low voice, she started repeating, You're not getting her. She's mine. Tabitha said, I want to talk to Lana. And something important to know about Tabitha and Ted is that they are very religious, uh-huh. um, like a fundamentalist family. So she's family. like, so this she, kid is,
0: is possessed by a demon right
3: now. Yeah, or by Which, her dad or something, yes. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Eddie. Yeah, true, very true. Fuck Eddie. So she says, I want to talk to Lana. And the voice asked, you want to talk to Lana? Before the little girl went limp again. She sat back up normally this time, and started crying as if it was she was back in her body. What the fuck? Tabitha tried to console her, asking her what was wrong. Through sobs, Lana said, help me, mommy, help me. Then she grabbed her throat and said, I got to go, mommy. He's got my throat. I got to go. He wants me. I got to go. The fundamentalist family started praying as the deep voice mocked them. Then Lana's voice came back and she said, I love you, but you know too much. I'm going to have to kill you now. You know too much. It's time to kill you now. Then I'll have to kill myself. She jumped towards her parents trying to attack them. What? This all happened the night that this poor little baby was killed? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. I'm freaked out. I know. I was so scared when I heard this. I mean, it's truly probably one of the scariest things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah,
0: dude. I mean, she, if at that point, if you're not religious, you're about to be.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, like, holy crap.
3: I mean, yeah, praying, trying to, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I have no words. This is so scary. Okay. Um. <laughs>
0: um uh, okay, we'll keep going.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she jumped towards the foster parents trying to attack them. Yeah. They were able to keep her from doing any damage. And once they got her down on the bed, she passed out. And again, it took both of their, all of their strength to hold this little girl down.
0: That's aggressive. I mean, 12 year olds are stronger than you think, but they're not that strong. Yeah. Typically.
3: Yeah. So after she passed out, Ted and Tabitha picked her up and rushed her to the hospital. At the hospital, the doctor told the family that Lana had to be faking it, but the family disagreed. They knew she wasn't faking it. A psychiatrist would later attribute the incident to PTSD. Sure. Sure. Lana was sent to the psych ward at Akron Children's Hospital. The same day she arrived, her brother James arrived too. What? It was a huge coincidence. Oh, yeah. You said something else happened with the other kid too. Yeah. They were living in separate foster homes, but James ended up there after having dreams that same night that his father was trying to kill him. Michelle, the older... So we
0: don't know. So it wasn't like the same level, but he's still in the psych
3: ward? Well, okay, here. So, because they are living in separate foster homes, and I- I'm not sure, you know, if the other family wanted to be involved with the book that was written about this, or you know, that's like how we know oh, all of this stuff, right? I don't so, know if they told anyone, you know, what actually happened. What that actually night. happened that night? But what we do know is that he was having really bad. Nightmares that his father was trying to kill him.
0: Oh man, that's so weird. And they both go to the same psych hospital in Akron.
3: Well, I, that mean, I guess I can they're local to the house, right?
0: Like it's a locally yeah. placed. But
3: man, and then Michelle, the older sibling who is eighteen and living with her. Actually, no. At this point, Michelle has moved out of her uncle Otis's. Remember, right? Yeah. She did not go with her family when they went on the run. I think she actually got into a relationship and moved in. I thought
0: Michelle went home, and that's how they ended up on the run.
3: That is, but then she did not go. That's that's how the kids ended up back home. But she did not go on the run when they were going to all the different states. I think she met a man and moved out to live with him. Okay, but she reported having a really bad nightmare that night where her father told her to kill herself and her new husband. So three of the kids, the night that Skipper Jr. died.
0: And, and that's three of the children that spoke up and made it into this book.
3: Right. Exactly. That's not
0: necessarily, I mean, it could have been all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fucked up that like three different people in three completely different sp- places reported the same thing.
3: So back to the family on the run. Joel and Pixie went to the University of Tampa Library a couple days later, asking the librarian, Gail Novak, for help finding a book about SIDS. Gail noted the appearance of the two. They looked exhausted and disheveled. She noticed Joel was slurring his words as if he had been drugged. While Gail helped them find books about SIDS, Pixie was repeating a story about her baby dying while they were camping, adding it was the second baby she had lost recently, which is very confusing. We don't know about you know a second baby. Yeah, we don't that, know about that. Yeah, yeah. So Pixie's just not even really paying attention to what the library, what the librarian is saying or doing. She's just like seems lost in her own world, just repeating the story as, Which as she's make sense if she's trying to memorize it. Oh, yeah, that's at le- that's what the librarian said. At least.
0: Well, that I mean, you would know the difference of someone saying it because they were like almost catatonic. And if they were saying it to memorize something.
3: Yes. But I do think she was like in a very, she was not in a good. Yeah. She was in like a trance like state. Yes. I do think that actually was true. She
0: did just kill an infant for crying.
3: Right. Right. The librarian had offered to contact Joel if she was able to find more references after they left the library and Joel told her that he had actually booked a flight to Ohio so she should contact Pixie if she found more books for the couple.
1: Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film If Only in Theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: So they're looking for books. Joel tells her, contact her, not me. I'm going to Ohio. Yes. Don't think he's going to make
1: it.
3: They told Gail the baby's body was in the car. Pixie even asked Gail if she would come take a look at the baby's body, but Gail refused. This is all super strange to me. I don't understand why they did this, why she told her that. It's not true. The baby's body is not in the car. They had already buried the baby. And... I cannot under I I don't understand why they this why, and any the of the librarians
0: immediately calling the police.
3: Yes. So at first she thought they might be playing a prank on her, but the more she interacted with them, the more she was convinced that their baby really had died. She called the campus police department to report the incident, but they thought she was playing a prank on them, so they just hung up on her and that was the end of it.
0: So You're on campus, so now you call the police of the city. And if they hang up on you, you call the state police. And if they hang up on you, you call the fucking FBI.
3: Yeah. A few days later, Joel was killed at the campsite. Yeah. What actually happened isn't clear because everyone's stories were so inconsistent. Charles recalled in his interview with Investigation Discovery that Eddie took Joel and Willie out to the woods behind the campsite and then he pulled a gun on Willie and told him that he would kill him if he didn't strangle Joel. Basically, Charles is saying that Eddie held a gun to his son Willie's head and said, strangle Joel or I'll kill you. Other accounts paint Pixie and Willie as the leaders in the plot to kill Joel, not Eddie, which is...
0: It's viable.
3: It's plausible. I still think if Pixie and Willie were the ones who plotted to kill Joel. I, I still think Eddie it. was leading it. and Yeah, he's in on it. Yeah.
0: He's the head of the gang, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's a cult leader, so. Yeah. Nothing, nope. You know, nobody yeah. gets greenlit without permission from the top.
3: Right, absolutely. Um, But it does seem, just based on everyone's stories, it seems more likely that Eddie, Pixie, and Willie plotted together to kill him than it does that Eddie held a gun to Willie's head while he killed him. If God. that makes sense, yeah. I I kind of uh, maybe I feel like Charles just kind of wants to cover for his brother a little bit, but maybe. I yeah, could maybe. be wrong. Yeah, maybe you know it has feels as if he needs to protect him because even if Eddie wasn't holding a gun to his head in that moment, he had done so much damage with the abuse that he had put them all through that he might as well have been holding a gun to his head, right? So now that they've gotten rid of Joel, they come up with a story saying that if anyone asks, they will just tell them that Joel left in a car with someone.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened. Guy's gone.
3: Yeah. But what are they going to tell people about Skipper Jr.? They have to replace the baby.
0: He took the baby.
3: That's not what they, that was was not what Eddie's initial plan was.
0: That is the best plan you can come up with. Yeah. He took the baby and left. I don't know where you call the police. Joel has taken the baby.
3: Yeah. Nope. Instead, Eddie came up with a plot to replace Baby Skipper. His plan was to drive with Willie and Charles back to Ohio to his son Eddie Jr.'s house. Eddie Jr. had recently had a new baby boy with his wife. We're
0: going to kidnap my grandson.
3: Once they got there, Eddie planned for them to kill everyone in the family besides the newest son, and then leave and head back to Florida, as um, if that wouldn't draw more attention to them.
0: Okay, this guy is—he's a uh, so so. They say right, like serial killers are terrible people. Like this, it escalates and they start making mistakes, and that's how they get caught. This has got to be what takes them down.
3: Well, one, I just want to say Eddie. No one in the family is technically a serial killer that we know of because they they haven't killed. You're just saying that that that
0: happens with like serial killers and terrible people in general. Yeah. You know, they start escalating, their behaviors escalate, they make mistakes. Yes. Like even chronic thieves, right? Like you don't get the same rush from stealing a DVD that you do from stealing a vacuum cleaner. Right. So eventually you start stealing refrigerators and you get caught.
3: Yeah. So thankfully this plot does not happen. Right.
0: Yeah. Thankfully.
3: Thankfully, they are not successful in this plot. When Charles talks about it in the investigation discovery interview, he says that his dad gave him a gun and told him to go up and knock on the door and then shoot Eddie Jr. or whoever answered the door, go in, shoot everyone else and grab the baby. Charles said that he was fully prepared to do that. He was ready to shoot his brother when he answered the door. Thankfully, Eddie Jr. did not answer the door when they showed up. So they just left.
0: No one answered.
3: No one answered. Thank God.
0: So so they didn't think, oh, oh, they're not home. I guess we'll come back. Nope. They just left. So none of these people are a part of Mensa. No. <laughs> no. I mean, well, I, I imagine they must not have gotten much good schooling because, you know, you go to school, you still need to go home and do your homework and like learn outside of school and your parents need to teach you things, but all they did was teach them how to be abused.
3: Well, yeah, and Eddie is in charge of this whole plot, so it's really up to him what happens. It's not up to his sons. So, you know, when Eddie Jr. didn't answer and Charles got back in the car, Eddie Sr. was like, all right, we're just going to head back oh, to was the there. campground. Yes. Eddie was
0: there. Okay, because yeah. I'm thinking, I, I was picturing this for some reason that uh Charles was Charles by himself, was by or, himself, himself no. or he was with one of his brothers and they were like no okay, well here I guess we'll just go home now. no no no
3: no Eddie was there okay. and it was okay. up to him The family moved on to a campground at a different Florida state park Sure Their neighbor at that park was a man named Raymond Hesser He was retired and liked to spend his time camping all over the country Suffering from Friedrich's ataxia, he had to use an electric scooter to get around. The Sexton pegged him as a good target immediately because they figured he got disability checks. So they turned their charm up trying to befriend Raymond. Willie was the one who came around the most, but Pixie eventually started accompanying him. Ray was a friendly man and welcomed the company, but he wasn't as gullible as the Sextons may have thought. He noticed inconsistencies in the family's stories immediately, but he tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. They just asked so many questions, wanting to know about the title on his motorhome and information about his bank account. It was becoming obvious that they were up to something. He didn't know what it was, though, and he probably never imagined the extent to which the family would go to to get what they wanted. Eddie's plan was to use his children to manipulate Ray into giving them as much information about his finances and assets as possible. Eddie wanted to steal not only his motorhome and his money, but also his identity. When Pixie started coming around, she tried to be flirtatious, hoping that she could seduce personal information out of Ray. They had an elaborate plan to kill Ray, but thankfully he was one step ahead of them the whole time. He ended up, I don't want to go into the full story because it's just a lot of Willie trying to manipulate him and then Ray trying to, you know, put him off until he can get to a safe place.
2: Yeah. Um...
3: But basically what happens is Willie wants Ray to come with them to this place. And Ray says, how about I meet you guys there? I have to do something first. So, you know, give me a second to do that and then I'll meet you guys there. And Willie and Pixie accept this. So Ray waits for them to drive away for a few seconds. And then he books it out of there and goes the opposite direction. (laughs) I'm out of here. That is just an important, I know it seems like, why would you tell me this? It's important later because it comes up in court. So that's why I'm telling you about that whole situation with Ray.
0: I love that. Yes. Only because we're headed to court. Yes. That's what I fucking want to hear. Yes. Either the cemetery or prison.
3: Right. Exactly. Actually, I'll get both. Okay. So at this point, this has been escalated to the FBI because he's crossed state lines. He's on the run. He's kidnapping the, children.
0: Yes. Going all over. Oh, well, maybe, I mean, there's few minor children at this point, right?
3: Um. Yeah, There. there's few, but there's enough. I mean, there's still a I good mean, amount one, of them. One counts. Yeah, yeah. So the FBI was working hard on the case. Family members who used to be loyal to Eddie and his wife, Stella, were beginning to turn on them after getting ripped off, just like Eddie Jr. ended up doing. It seems to be a common thing that happens to a lot of the family members that were loyal to them at one point. Eddie's brother-in-law, who had helped the family at one point, told investigators that he had actually received calls from Eddie, which they were able to trace back to Little Manatee River State Park in Florida. Okay. The brother-in-law added that he had sold them a 1993 Nissan Sentra that they stopped making payments on. So I think that's why he started to get kind of pissed at that. Yeah, he's
0: like, fuck this shit.
3: Yeah, And he had officially reported it as stolen. So they started running surveillance on the campground where the phone call came from specifically looking for that car. Right. On January 14th, 1994, the FBI arrested the Sexton parents. Let's go. At this point, they only knew about the abuse allegations. The arrest warrant was for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution the minor children were taken back to the custody of Ohio DHS and the adult children were ordered to leave the campground.
0: <laughs> we're going to send these kids all the way back home where they belong. Um, But, you know, you're 18. Yeah. You have no job, no resources, no nothing, but just leave the campground, okay? Yeah,
3: yeah. Like, fuck. what the fuck are they supposed to do?
0: Florida, dude. It's been fucked up for years. <laughs> Sorry about anybody that's listening to this that lives in Florida. It was just a joke.
3: They probably agree.
0: Michigan's fucked up too.
3: I mean, many. Um uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Gurp. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like I said, they don't know about the murders yet. They are looking into where Joel is because his aunt eventually reported him missing. Missing, yeah. But they don't have, you know, any evidence that he's, been murdered. At least they don't at that point, right? Don't have any maybe
0: in, some sort of suspicion, yeah,
3: but. yeah, but nothing concrete. And yeah. they have no idea about Skipper. I mean, so Charles had been under the impression that Skipper died from SIDS or an accidental overdose, but of NyQuil, yes, of NyQuil, but his sister Pixie accidentally confessed that she had actually suffocated the baby. How
0: do you accidentally confess to killing an infant?
3: I was kind of confused about that too. I don't know if she just said something and Charles was like, wait, that's different than what you told me before. And then he was able to get it out of her or maybe they were high or drunk and she, she said something. I don't know, but.
0: It would be hard. Honestly, it would be hard to keep a secret like that because it would not be in the back of your mind. It would be on the forefront of your mind. At all times. At all times. Yeah. Like, Unless you are a complete sociopath or psychopath, which is rare. Yeah. And she's fucked up. She was fucked up from her parents, right? Yeah. But she's not completely broken to the point where, you know, at least that's my assumption.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I would assume that there may have been a part of her that needed to be honest about this. Yeah. So this information seemed to push Charles over the edge. His guilt was eating away at him, and his conscience could not let him keep the information inside. Remember, Skipper is Charles' namesake. Charles was very close to Skipper, particularly. So he told his brother, Eddie Jr., who then told their uncle Otis. Otis contacted detectives and asked them to come interview Charles. The truth came spilling out. Charles told investigators where little Skipper's body could be found. He marked a tree near the spot as a way to remember him. Then he told them about the murder of Joel and led them to the place they buried his body. The truth about Joel's murder isn't clear, like I said, but most accounts point to Pixie and Willie as the culprits being led by Eddie. Sure. Detectives picked up Pixie and Willie to interrogate them. Willie tried to lie at first, but he couldn't maintain it. He confessed to killing Joel, saying Pixie wanted it done. Willie had also seen Pixie kill her baby in the middle of the night because they slept in the same room. Pixie also tried to lie about the murders. She didn't deny that they occurred. She just claimed she wasn't involved in them.
0: But I knew about them and didn't say anything. Just, you know. Yeah. As if you're now absolved.
3: Yeah. So with Charles' help, detectives recovered the remains of Joel and Skipper. The medical examiner ruled Skipper died by suffocation and Joel died by strangulation. While interviewing Willie, detectives learned that on their biweekly trips to Ohio to retrieve Eddie's disability checks, Eddie and Pixie would have sex in the car while Willie drove. They also learned that Pixie Willie, and Eddie had conspired to kill Joel so he's kind you know his story is kind of changing, but yeah it it seems like he's consistently saying Pixie wanted it done, and Eddie wanted it done too and was kind of leading them the way that he did with everything sure
0: which probably makes sense loyalty to dad first yeah it was pixie that wanted this done right when really all that happened was eddie manipulated the situation for it to happen right and then made pixie say yes do it yeah yeah that's what i'm gleaming gleaning from this and i i'm guessing
3: yeah i mean i I do think that pixie did actually want it done but She's just been so controlled and abused by her yes. parents her whole life that Agreed. she is not in her right mind. None well, of them not, are.
0: She doesn't have one.
3: Yeah. And actually investigators noted how just hollow and not there she seemed. Sure. She just no reactions, no emotions. Right. Just nothing.
0: She was abused and trained to not feel. Yeah. And to just do what she was told. Yeah. And somehow poor Joel fell in love with her.
3: Yeah. He wanted to see the good in people, and he saw the good in her, you know?
0: Joel Good wanted to see the good in people.
3: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Eddie taught Willie how to use a garrote in preparation for the murder, so, I mean, he was absolutely involved.
0: How does Eddie know how to use a garrote? From watching, like, James Bond movies?
3: I don't know. Eddie got into many violent altercations throughout their life. Like, the kids recall him beating the shit out of this guy they called like Toehead or something. And then some blonde dude putting him in the trunk of a car and driving away. And investigators did investigate this, but they never found like a body. But basically, this
0: guy did not just abuse his family. Let's be clear. Right. He's been a piece of shit everywhere he goes forever. But Eddie... Fuck Eddie.
3: Yeah. Eddie also told people that he had met this man named the Iceman when he was in prison and the man would do hits for him, kill people that Eddie wanted to be killed. He also told people that, you know, he had mafia connections. So I think he just was obsessed with seeming like this, you know, violent cult leader who could take you out, you know, whenever he wanted to. So I think that's why he knew how to use a grot, but I don't really know for sure. Anyway, so when interviewing Eddie, he was much harder to crack. He had no problem pinning Joel's murder on Willie and baby skipper, he said, died in his sleep from SIDS. Stella, Eddie's wife, said that she had never sexually assaulted any of her kids and she told investigators she had no knowledge of any incest between Eddie and her children. She lied, telling them that none of her kids had ever come to her with any information like that. She tried to lie about both murders, changing her story multiple times. Pixie's children, Dawn and Shasta, had been examined by a doctor to see if they had been victims of sexual assault as well. They found that both girls had been victims of rape and sodomy, and it was clear that it was chronic and violent. Eddie was charged (sighs) in the plot against Ray Hesser and in the murder of Joel Good. He took a plea bargain for the Hesser case and was sentenced to 15 years. The trial for the murder of Joel ended in Eddie being found guilty and sentenced to death. He appealed his sentence and the verdict was overturned. He was given a new trial and then he was found guilty again and sentenced to death again. But he ended up dying of natural causes, basically in his sleep. Yeah, that's, uh,
0: I don't know. I, I mean, this guy had to be old at this point, right? I mean, so I guess that makes sense, but.
3: Yeah, I know. Charles, his son, in the investigation discovery interview was felt like it was very unfair that his dad just got to die in yeah.
0: his sleep. How long did was he in prison?
3: Do we know he he was sentenced for the first time on November 2nd, 1994.
0: He died in 2010.
3: So that would be 16 years on death row. That's a long time. Yeah. Pixie was initially charged with first degree murder and the death of Skipper, but they made a deal with her. Oh, really? She could plead guilty to manslaughter in exchange for her testimony and her dad's trial. Run it. She accepted the deal and was sentenced to six years in prison. Stella was charged with rape, complicity to rape, child endangering, and gross sexual misconduct. Imposition.
0: Imposition. Oh, wow. That's an aggressive charge. Yeah. Name.
3: She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, and she died in 2017, awaiting her next parole hearing.
0: Yeah, she wasn't getting out anyway. Yeah.
3: Willie Sexton was given a plea deal, which he accepted. He pled guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for his testimony in his father's trial. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. And that's... That's that? That's it.
0: So, Pixie... She's out now, right? Yes. I wonder what's going on with her.
3: I know. I wonder what's going on with all of the children. Not that it's any of our business at all. I just really hope that they've been able to find healing and yeah. been able to make a normal, happy life for themselves because that kind of abuse is just... un
0: uh, It's untold. Like, there's no way to know what that's like. no. Like, um, I, I've heard of really bad abuse stories, but I have not heard one. And we didn't even dig into what really happened. Right? Like, there's no way he did one weird seance with a cat. Yeah. Is, every day something fucked up was happening in that house.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I if I, I couldn't go into everything that of happened, I gave you the most, I gave you the. I mean, this
0: is a two-part episode. I the, mean, you know, come on.
3: Yeah. Experiences that came up you know, the most in the book and in interviews and in court, but I didn't want to go. Well, I just couldn't go in depth into every single thing that he did because he abused every single one of his family members. I mean, I I could tell you a couple more fucking weird ass things that he did. One of the things was (laughs) he forced all of his boys to line up in the bathroom with, their genitals exposed and he measured them one of the neighbors that they stayed with saw Stella the mom sexually assaulting her son by giving him oral sex on the bed while another one of the kids watched the dad would make the kids have sex with each other in front of him um like oh OK, this is really weird, though, and I did want to bring this up, but it's just so there's just so fucking much that I was trying to cover like the you know most important things. So one of the things that he said was he told everyone that him and his daughter Lana had like special powers. He said that they were called the Future Trons him and his daughter were trans. And he said that he had this special mark on his palm and his daughter also had a special mark on her palm. And she also had a birthmark that looked like a Christmas tree. And mm-hmm. when his wife was pregnant, when Stella was pregnant, the Christmas tree fell down. And when the Christmas tree what? fell down, Lana apparently like kicked or moved in her stomach. And then she was born with this mark of a That's Christmas a tree story. and these crazy <laughs> marks on her hand. And he would tell everyone that he made a deal with Wendy's and Burger King, a multi million dollar deal to have pictures of them be on boxes and yeah, bags sure and stuff that like happened, that. Just
0: like his fucking record in Vietnam. Right, exactly. Idiot.
3: And then he said that like people would want to kill her, kill Lana if they, you know, found out because she was so powerful. So. Fuck Eddie. It like God. It, it's just this weird ass shit that he comes up with in his mind and then
0: I know what I'm gonna tell everybody.
3: <laughs> like that's that is so fucking strange. Um Yeah,
0: that's real weird.
3: But yeah, so anyways, I there's just no way for me to get into every single fucked up thing that he did because like you said, every single day was torturous for these children. Right. And someone, unfortunately, them, but someone, yes, unfortunately, the children, some of the children ended up hurting other people because, yep. because of that
0: and hurt people, hurt people.
3: Yeah. And while it, it isn't necessarily their fault, unfortunately they still had to be held accountable for it. And it just, the cycle of pain and i i really just i hope that they've been able to break out of it and find some peace and find some happiness because that's what they all deserve agreed, so, agreed. if you ever suspect that anything is happening to a family member a neighbor a neighbor anyone please reach out for help There were so many adults that knew what was going on and remained complicit and helped the family. And I don't understand that at all. Um, They were
0: told what was going on. They probably did not believe it.
3: That's why you should always believe victims. Always believe victims.
0: Especially children.
3: Yes. We're supposed to protect children. Tell a teacher. Yeah. Like
0: teachers are, they're duty bound.
3: There's many people who are to yeah,
0: nurses, doctors, it. yeah, nurse practitioners.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, fuck, you can tell the librarian apparently and show call the cops. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tell someone.
3: Yeah. We we are supposed to protect children. That's
0: we're supposed to protect each other.
3: Yeah, we're supposed especially to protect each other, children. yes. Yes. You know, so to tie this all back to the song by Sun Kil Moon, yeah. These things are they disrupt so families society I mean yeah. it, it just I don't know it these things are need to be talked about but at the same time it's like obviously I want to um, I, I would never want to share a story if a victim didn't want this story shared so of course if if anyone does not want this if if a family member ever came across this podcast and did not want this story shared of course I would take it down That's, um, that
0: goes for any of our cases that we share yes
3: yes of course but I always want to make sure that we honor the victims that we talk about. Joel, Skipper. Joel was a great guy, according to everyone. He really stepped up and took care of those children. And he was a really good father, by all accounts, even if he, you know, was a little bit maybe gullible and just really believed that people were good. And Skipper was an innocent little baby had never done anything wrong and he had to spend the majority of his life in pain and discomfort. Yeah. And that's not okay. So that's all that I have for this episode and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate all of you so much. I love you all so much and I will talk to you all soon.
2: Bye.